Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now, here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Good morning. How you doing this morning? Doing good? All right, cool. Uh, it's an exciting day. It's, uh, it's the last day of our uh, Man versus Wife series, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a good series. It's been a fun series. Uh, it's been something that uh, I've been looking forward to uh, doing for uh, six or seven months now since we first kind of started planning it. And uh, now we're at the end of it. And so I'm real sad and heartbroken. And I'm going to talk about what it means and what it looks like to, uh, to be married. But uh, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up. Listen, uh, Easter's going to be awesome. Uh, you want to be here. You want to bring people with you. And like Pastor Bride said just a few minutes ago, uh, on that day, we've got such a special opportunity to give towards something that's really going to be a tangible difference maker in so many lives. Um, today, what I want to do, I want to talk to parents. I want to talk to parents today or, or grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody who has anything to do uh, with kids or, or, or family. If you are married and you have any kind of relationship with a kid, I want to talk to you specifically today. If you're not, if you're, you're married or you're single and you don't have kids yet or anything, um, then, then I want to help set you up for the future uh, before you kind of uh, before you have kids and start messing them up like I have, um, <laughs> you'll, you'll get started on the right foot. So uh, one of the things that we do here, uh, when, when, I, when I try to write a message, I try to write something at the beginning that's, that, that creates kind of what they call in the, in the church world common ground. What that means is you spend the first few minutes trying to get everybody on the same page whether it's through a joke or laughing or a story or sharing something of your own life, you try to get everybody on the same page thinking the same thing, all on board, the same train going in the same direction. And I've been working for weeks on the introduction, the common ground portion of this message. And, and i got to be honest with you, I just don't have anything. Like, I got nothing. I have no ideas. And I was wondering, I know I'm going to kind of put her on the spot. Hope, is there like a song that you know, or, or that maybe you can do for us, uh, that kind of does that, that it, it's about parents or parenting. You, you got something like that? Okay. Hope's going to do a song for us and, uh, we'll see how this works out. Hopefully it, it makes sense. And it's something about parenting. We'll see, but, uh, hopefully this, this will create common ground for us. Is that right? All right, cool. Well, here's, uh, Pastor Hope back to sing a song for us. Let's see what happens. I never set alarm clocks anymore And I wake up before the dawn I get up early And I'm not proud of how I'm dressed It's 3 a.m. And the baby's screaming But every minute's like diapers Thomas splashing in the bathtub Juice stains, snack Screaming in the minivan, they don't care. We can't remember the last time we dreamed. And everybody's like swaddles, white noise, sleeping with your baby, warm milk, rocking. Let them cry them out now, they don't care. We haven't slept in a couple of years, and we'll never be rested. Now that we have kids, that kind of luck's just ain't for us. We 
parenting and what in the world does parenting have to do uh, with man versus wife? That's what we're talking about today. I want to tell you a story. A uh, whole message today is just going to be me telling you a story. And this story spans about 60 years. Uh, it takes up about two-thirds of the, of the book that we call Genesis, the first book uh, in, in the Old Testament. It's probably a story that you're familiar with. Um, you've probably heard it. Maybe if you went to VBS or or if maybe you went to, to Sunday school when you were a kid, if, if, you didn't, like, if you're not a church-going person now, you probably still will find this story familiar. Movies written about it, uh, all sorts of different uh, things. The beginning uh, of our story is with the most famous family in the entire Bible, probably. Starts with a guy named Abraham. And again, this is one of those times I wish I had a big felt board, but because I don't have a big felt board and no one has said, Pastor Josh, I'll build you a giant felt board, We've got a, a diagram on the thing. So we start with Abraham. Abraham, like we said last week, had many sons. We're not going to sing the song so it gets stuck in your head again this week. Uh, Abraham had a lot of sons. Uh, one in particular, not really had two, but uh, anyway, he had, he had Isaac. He had another son, but he doesn't count. Um, Isaac. Isaac was, was Abraham's uh, son. And, and Isaac had two sons. We talked about them last week, Jacob and Esau. Specifically, it's actually Esau and Jacob because Esau was born first. They were twins. Uh, but if anybody's given birth to twins, you don't push two out at the same time. One comes out and then the other one comes out shortly afterwards. I'm not trying to get too gross or graphic, just 
We all know that. Okay, so Esau came first, and then his brother Jacob. Now, Jacob had 12 sons, and the most famous son of these is the, the, the 11th one, the one over here, Joseph. Joseph is the most famous of, 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 Je- of Jacob's sons. Not only is that, uh, but, but he's also the favorite. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, favorite child. Not only was he the favorite child, but he was the favorite child of the favorite wife, which already tells you there's some like issues, like Mari Povich-type issues going on already in Abraham's family. If you've got a favorite wife, you know something uh, fishy is going on. But because he was the favorite son, all of the other brothers hated him. Now, the last one, his name's Benjamin. He hadn't been born yet. Um, but, but his other ten brothers, they hated him. And it makes sense why they hated him, because he's the favorite. He is daddy's boy. Daddy dotes. Daddy gave him a fancy jacket with a lot of colors on it. And, and, and he just kind of doted on him. And, 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 and this favorite son from, from the favorite wife was just spoiled. Well, one day, he was about 17 years old. Uh, Joseph is hanging out with his dad, and his dad's wondering what the brothers are doing out in the country. They're supposed to be uh, tending the flocks and making sure nothing, but they always got into trouble. And so Jacob had to go send Joseph to check on them. And, and Joseph kind of strolls up and, and they see him coming. They see Joseph coming and they're like, oh man, here comes Joseph, daddy's little boy, the rat, <laughs> the tattletale. He's going to go tell dad what we're getting into. Man, let's get him. Like, like, let's not just get him. Let's, let's get him and kill him. And so the brothers devise this scheme where they capture Joseph, their brother, and they throw him in a pit, and they're going to kill him. But then they say, hey, hey, wait a second. Like, let's not kill him because we can make some money off of him. Let's sell him. Let's sell him into slavery. And so, so they found some slave traders who were on their way to Egypt, and they stopped them. They said, hey, we want to we sell you somebody. And so they had the exchange, and they got money for Joseph, and Joseph goes away with the slave traders bound for Egypt. And they take his fancy coat with all the colors on it, and they splash some blood on it, and they take it back to Jacob, and they say, Jacob, we're so sorry, but, but this is what's happened to your boy Joseph, and, and this is all that's left of him. Some wild animal must have just devoured him. Joseph, or Jacob is heartbroken. His favorite son from his favorite wife has ended up like this. And, and he just, he, he can barely even be consoled. Meanwhile, Joseph is not dead. Joseph is alive, but he's not well. He's on his way to Egypt. And he knows what life is like for a slave because Jacob was pretty wealthy. He probably had a few slaves. Joseph knows what their life is like. Joseph knows that, that on his way to, to Egypt, he has no choice where he's going to end up, who he will be sold to. And, and you know, we kind of romanticize the Bible sometimes, and we just got, kind of picture, you know, Joseph and in, in just walking along. No, no, no. Joseph is shackled and probably drug through the desert back to Egypt. He had no standing whatsoever. And now he finds himself in Egypt, a foreigner who's also a slave. This is not his culture. This is not his home. He doesn't know these people. He doesn't share their stories. He didn't grow up here. He doesn't know where to find anything. But now he finds himself here. And he makes a decision. 
He makes a decision that's really a strange decision. He decides that he is going to live for God regardless of what his circumstances look like. He, he makes a decision that he's going to do the right thing even if the right thing never happens to him. Well, he ends up getting sold to this guy named Potiphar, who is a really powerful uh, guy in, in Pharaoh's court. And, and he's powerful and he's wealthy. He's got a lot of money. He's got a big, big house and, and lots of things are going on. And, and, he, and, he, and he buys Joseph and Joseph becomes Potiphar's slave. But Joseph gains a little bit of favor with Potiphar. He starts doing a really good job. And Potiphar puts him in charge of the whole house. So Joseph, the foreign slave guy, now he's in charge of Potiphar's entire house. Nobody, uh, he, he answers to nobody except Potiphar. He's in charge of everything else. Unfortunately, not only did he gain some attention from Potiphar, he also got the attention of Potiphar's wife, kind of like cougar alert, you know. She's kind of like, Joseph, won't you come here to me, man? Won't you come on, boy? You know, won't you be my boo, Joe? Joseph says, no, 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 I'm not, I, I'm not interested in that. You know, I don't, you, you're, a mar- you're a married woman. You're, you're married to my, my master. I'm not going to dishonor him. And he says this really strange thing. He also says, I'm not going to dishonor my God by doing that. And she won't let up. Like She keeps pursuing him. She keeps coming after him. The claws come out, and she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get you, boy. And he gets so bad one day, Joseph just, just like, she's got his robe, and, and he, he just, like, drops it and runs. What's this guy's deal with keeping his clothes on? You know, like, come on, Joe, keep your clothes on. But, but he drops his clothes, and he takes off running. And because she's so offended that he turns her down, she frames him for rape. Joseph now is accused of raping his master's wife. And remember, Joseph is a foreign guy. No, he doesn't know anybody, and he's a slave. And, and so he, he has no hope. You don't even listen to Joseph's story. It doesn't matter what his story is because he's a foreigner and he's a slave. And so he gets thrown in the dungeon. Now, it's pretty bad to be a foreigner. That's, that's difficult enough. It's even worse to be a slave. I mean, that's really terrible. But to be a foreigner who's a slave who's thrown in a dungeon, <laughs> that's, that tops it all. I mean, he, here's the deal. Nobody, Joseph doesn't have a court date, y'all. Nobody's checking on him. He's, a for, he's in a foreign country, and he's a slave. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that he's in the dungeon. Nobody's, nobody's remembering, oh yeah, we probably should check out this story and see what happened. No, no, no. He's just forgotten about. But Joseph keeps doing the right thing, even though the right thing never happens to him. And years go by while he's in the dungeon. Years, years and years go by. And there's this verse that, 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 that the author of Genesis puts in chapter 39, verse 21, that's just really... it's kind of mind-blowing. Let me read it for you. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, check it out on the screen behind me. Look at what it says. The Lord was with him, him being Joseph. The Lord was with him. He He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, I don't know if you read it this way, but that's messed up. Like, let me let me show you why that's messed up. The Lord was with him. That's a good thing. Like, like that's good. 
You know, you want God to be with you. You want the Lord to be with you. That's a good thing. That's, that's great. He showed him kindness. Well, that's awesome. Man, I love, I, I want the Lord to show me kindness. That's great. That's awesome. Look, at, and he granted him favor. Wow. I mean, the Lord is with you. He's showing you kindness and he's showing you favor. You should be on top of the world. But look, in the eyes of the prison warden, like that's an oxymoron. Those things should not go together. <laughs> You do not get the Lord is with you. He's showing you kindness and favor. Oh, by the way, it's in the eyes of the prison warden. Like, if the Lord is showing me favor and kindness, I ought not be in a prison. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's Joseph's story. I, I shouldn't be here, but he's here. There's nothing he can do about it. So fast forward uh, years, maybe maybe maybe. 10, 15, we don't know how many years, and, and Joseph's still there, and then Pharaoh gets mad one day. Some, some, something happens with his, his cupbearer and his baker, and he throws them both in the dungeon. And so Joseph's there with the, with the cupbearer the, the cup and the baker, and, and these two guys have dreams. And they start telling their dreams in the dungeon, and Joseph says, well, you know, I'm kind of good with dreams. Um, let, me, let me see if I can help you out. And so he gives them the interpretation of what their dreams mean. He tells the cupbearer, cup he says, listen, dude, you're good. You're good to go. You're going to be fine. Pharaoh's going to bring you back, and you're going to be, you're great. Baker, sorry, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> not so much. You're going to be killed. Uh, have a nice day. Um, but he, he, he does that, and he tells the cupbearer, he says, let me, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Would you go back to Pharaoh's court? Would you remember me? Would you tell somebody that I'm here? Listen, listen, I'm a foreigner. I didn't do the thing I got accused of. I'm an innocent guy. I don't deserve to be here. Would you tell somebody? Would you have kindness and just, and just tell somebody I'm here? Because everybody's forgotten that I'm even here. And the cupbearer says, I got you, man. You're my, you're my, you're my boy, Joe. You know, um, nobody got that old school reference. That's cool. Um, he says, I got you, and he, and he doesn't. He forgets him. The cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh's court, and for two years, he completely forgets about Joseph. And so day after day, for two more years, Joseph is just in the dungeon, toiling away. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh calls all of his, like, his, his astrologers and all of his soothsayers, all of the people, that, all of his administrators, and he says, I've got this dream and it's really disturbing me. I think it means something, but I don't know what it means. Tell me, do you know what it means? We don't know what it means, Pharaoh. It just sounds like you ate too much pizza last night. We don't know. No, I know it means something. And all of a sudden, this light goes off for the cupbearer. Oh, yeah, Joseph's in prison. <laughs> and, he, and he steps up and he says, pardon me, you know, Pharaoh, excuse me for opening my mouth and speaking, but... You know, you remember a couple years ago when you, when, when you threw me in the dungeon, and I'm not complaining about that, Pharaoh. You were, you were right to do that. You know, you had to figure out who was trying to kill you, and it wasn't me, but I got thrown in there anyway. But I'm not complaining because I don't want to go back. But while I was there, I had a dream. And there was this guy, his name was Joseph, and, and he interpreted my dream, and he was right. I don't, I don't know, Pharaoh. I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but, but maybe we ought to see if he can do tell you what it means. Pharaoh's, it's a pretty good idea. He was right once, so let's see if he can be right again. So they call Joseph up, 
and he doesn't look like them. He, he, he's not dressed like them. So, so, so they shower, they give him a shower and they shave him and they put some clothes on him. And he starts to kind of look the part of an Egyptian. And he walks into Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh says, I heard that you can interpret dreams. And again, Joseph says something that's just so ridiculous. He says, oh, I can't do that. But my God might give Pharaoh an answer, which is really offensive. Like at this point, the prison guard, the, the guards in Pharaoh's court, they grab their swords because they're about to cut Joseph's head off. Because Joseph just said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I know you think you're God, but my God is above you, and he might give you an answer. But Pharaoh says, hold on, put your swords back. Let's, see, let's hear what this boy has to say. He says, all right, tell me your dream. And so Pharaoh tells him his dream. It's about crazy. And J Joseph just says, I got you. I know exactly what's going on. Here's what's going to happen, Pharaoh. You're about to go into seven years of plenty. And you're going to, crops are going to grow like you would never believe. They're, it's just going to be incredible. But on, on, on year eight, the, the, the day after the seven years is over, you're going to go into a massive famine. Nobody's going to be able to grow anything. And then Joseph does something that is even crazier. He tells Pharaoh what to do. He says, listen, here's what I would do if I were you, Pharaoh. Let me give you some advice. I know I was just in prison. I know I'm just some Hebrew guy from Canaan who'd been in prison for the last 20 years, but let me give you some advice. Here's what I would do if I were you. I would find somebody. I would find somebody that's a really strong administrator, and I would put them in charge, and I would have them build grain silos all over the country, and I would tax my people 20% of their grain for the seven years of plenty. And I would take that grain and I would store it in those silos. And I would build as many silos as I could. And I would store as much grain as I could. Because once we hit, once we hit year eight, Pharaoh, you can take that grain that you've been storing and you can turn around and sell it back to the people. Matter of fact, Pharaoh, this famine is going to be so intense and so widespread. People are going to come from, from all sorts of countries around back to Egypt to buy grain from you. Listen, you're going to make a lot of money if you'll do this. Pharaoh's like, man, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Who are we going to pick? He kind of looks at his, 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 his counselors and like, you, I, got, I got an idea, but what? I think we should make Joseph this guy. And they, they're like, we've just known this guy for 15 minutes. Like, we don't even have his resume. We don't know what he, well, you don't know his qualifications. Pharaoh's like, he, he had the idea. I, th I think I'm going to put him in charge. And so Pharaoh takes Joseph from the prison to the palace and makes him the number two guy in all of Egypt. He's the number two guy. He answers to nobody except Pharaoh. He is like the prime minister of Egypt. And he does an incredible job. He does exactly what he told Pharaoh that he should do. And he, he builds these silos and he stores the grain and it's going awesome. And then year eight comes and the famine hits. And nobody can grow anything. And Joseph starts selling and distributing the grain. And people from all over are coming to buy it exactly as Joseph said they would. And then a couple years into it, eventually Joseph's family living miles and miles and miles away in a place called Canaan, run out of food because the famine hits them too. And let me read to you what, what the author of Genesis says in, in chapter 42 about Joseph's family. Look at this, verse 5. 
So Israel's sons, Israel is Jacob. God changes his name at one point in his life and says, you're no longer Jacob, you're Israel. If you've ever wondered why, where that word come from, Israel came from God, renamed Jacob. So this is Jacob. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. They didn't recognize their own brother. He, he looks like an Egyptian now. He's got the makeup on, the headdress on, the Egyptian clothes on. They haven't seen him now for 20-some for years. Joseph, at this point, is about 39 years old. And he recognizes his brothers. And there they are, bowed down in front of him. I wonder in this moment, as he's standing there, looking at his brothers who betrayed him, bowing down with their face on the ground, I wonder if he remembers the day they threw him in the pit. I wonder, I wonder as he's standing there looking at them, I wonder if, if, if you know, flashes of memory are, are crossing his mind. I wonder, if he, I wonder if he remembers the sound of their voices laughing from the bottom of the pit. I wonder if he remembers the sound of clanking silver as they make the exchange with the slave traders. I wonder if he remembers how it felt to, to realize that his brothers had no concern for him whatsoever. I, re, I wonder if he remembers the terror that he felt when they disappeared in the distance and he was on, on the way to Egypt for whatever he didn't know. I wonder if he thought in that moment while they're bowed down in front of him, all of the years he spent in the prison, forgotten about, alone, isolated, no hope, no end in sight. The end of the story hadn't been written. Joseph is living the story. And in that moment, I wonder if he's remembering all that they did to him and how now he's the one in power. He's the one in control. Their lives are in his hands. I wonder if he remembers. I also wonder if he remembers another story. Something that happened, not, not, not when he was 17, but when he was much younger, when he was a little boy. I wonder if he remembers this story from childhood. I wonder if it came racing back into his mind. And those are the dots I want to connect for you this morning. So let's rewind the story. Let's, let's skip back a few chapters. Back to Jacob, his father. Back when Jacob and, and Esau had their sibling rivalry. Last week we called them Duck Dynasty and Bobby Flay. Back when, 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 when Esau had a birthright and he sold it for a bowl of beans to his brother Jacob, who took advantage of his brother at a time of his brother's weakness. But then if we go forward a little bit after that, when Isaac, the father, is old and he's, he's losing his eyesight and the time has come for what in the Hebrew tradition is called the blessing, which is kind of like a last will and testament, if you will. It's kind of that idea. The father would bestow a blessing upon his sons and it was a binding legal contract, a legal agreement. What he said in that moment stood 
And so the brothers are getting ready to receive this blessing from their father. And they both go out and prepare, except Jacob is a little sneaky and a little, a little conniving. And he gets with his mom and he puts fur on his arms and he goes in and he pretends to be his brother Esau. Isaac is blind. He can't see who it is. He feels his arms and says, you're hairy. You sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. So Isaac puts his hand on Jacob's head and gives him the blessing of the firstborn son. This cannot be undone now. This is forever binding. Esau finds out about it. He comes in to get his blessing and his father says, I'm so sorry, son. I didn't know. I thought it was you. I've been tricked. I must have given it to your brother. And Esau says, isn't there anything left for me? And so Isaac says, here's all I've got. And he lays his hand and gives him this secondary inferior blessing that says you will always be subservient to your brother. Esau's ticked. (laughs) Esau is mad. In fact, he is so mad, he is is fuming mad. And look what he says in in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. Look at this. It says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob, which means as soon as my father dies, I'm hunting Jacob down and I'm killing him, and I'm taking back everything that he stole from me, that little snitch. Esau's ticked. He's going to kill him. Word gets to Jacob, Jacob, you got to get out of Dodge, man. Your brother's, your brother's on a rampage. As soon as your father croaks, he's coming after you. So Jacob runs away. He goes and spends some time with his uncle, his uncle Laban in, in a, different, a different part of the world. And while he's there, he's there for about 20 years. He meets a couple girls. One's named Leah's, one named Rachel. Leah, eh, not so attractive. Rachel, she's hot. He really likes Rachel. But the trickster gets tricked, and he ends up marrying Leah. And then he ends up marrying Rachel. And he really loves Rachel. Rachel's his favorite wife. But Leah's the one that gets pregnant. And she starts having babies, like she's having babies left and right, you know. And Rachel gets jealous. She's like, I want to have a baby, but she's not having a baby. So she gives uh, Jacob her maidservant and says, here, have a baby with my maidservant, and then her baby will be my baby, and and, and do that. And so he's like, it's like every time Jacob comes home, there's like a different woman going, we're having a baby tonight. (laughs) He's like, all right, cool. Uh, After about 20 years, Jacob's got four women and 11 sons. And and not only that, but he becomes incredibly wealthy, incredibly wealthy. He's got herds and flocks and servants galore, so wealthy, in fact, that they start fighting with his uncle's people. And he gets nervous that his uncle is going to going to kind of seize him. And so he grabs his people and he says, we got to get out of here. And this is what look what God tells him. God kind of stokes the fire a little bit. Verse uh, three of chapter 31 in Genesis. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers, which at this point, the land of his fathers is is the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, because Esau's still there. Jacob left. He says, go back there to your relatives, and I will be with you. Of course, Jacob's thinking, well, you better be. Like, if I'm going back to Esau, God, you better be with me. Because if I show up and Esau's still fuming mad, well, he's going to kill me 
Not only is he going to kill me, he's going to kill all my sons. He's going to take my wives. He's going to take all of my property. Because there's no way I'm going to enter that land and, and Esau's going to see all that I have acquired. There's no chance that he's not going to look and say, God has finally brought back to me everything that that little liar took. I'm going to kill him and I'm going to have what's rightfully mine. So Jacob's thinking, God, you better be with me. So he tells his family, he's like, hey, guys, pack up. We're going to go see Uncle Esau. Kids are like, Uncle Uncle Esau, like the one that, yeah, yeah, the one that wants to kill you, dad. Yeah, that Uncle Esau, yeah, same one, only one, only Uncle Esau we got. The, the one you stole, yes, I know, that Uncle Esau, that one's who we're going to go see. Okay, so they pack everything up. And then we come to this interesting, interesting little story in Genesis chapter 33. When Esau sees Jacob and his whole family approaching, look, look what happens. Jacob looks up, this is verse 1, Jacob looks up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. And friends, that's a small army in those times. This is not a welcome party. This is not a uh, congratulations, we're so excited for you to come back. This is, in Jacob's eyes, a small army that's about to attack him. So he knows what's going to happen. Look how Jacob responds. He uh, Continuing the, the passage. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. Then he kind of puts them in order of importance, if you will. He put the female servants and their children in front. They're not that important. Leah and her children next. They're middle important. And then look at this. And Rachel, and it's the only other son that's mentioned, the only son that's mentioned in the entire story. Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. So, 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 so here's the picture. Jacob's on his way. He looks on the horizon. He sees his brother Esau and he sees 400 men waiting on him. And he gets nervous. And so he orders his family from those who don't mean as much to him to his very favorite wife with his favorite son in the back. Now, they weren't stretched out for miles. This is like a caravan. I mean, it's, they could see what's happening. And as the rest of the family are watching, their lives are in the hands of a man they do not know and they have not seen in their lifetime and that their father has not seen in 20 years. Look what Esau does. Verse 4, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and the children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob says, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came, and there it is again, the only son mentioned in the entire passage, Joseph and Rachel. And they too bowed down. You see, Joseph watched that whole story firsthand. He experienced it firsthand. The day that Uncle Esau spared his father's life. The day Uncle Esau spared his life. His mother's life. And yeah, those same brothers Uncle Esau spared 
their life. Jacob, Joseph's father, deserved anything that Uncle Esau wanted to do. Jacob was a thief, a stealer, a trickster, and a liar. But Uncle Esau had mercy on this man who deserved no mercy whatsoever. Uncle Esau chose to reconcile with a brother who didn't deserve it, had not earned it, but he has mercy on him anyway. So 30 years later, here's Joseph standing. And now it's his brothers bowed down in front of him. I wonder if he remembers the day where his dad bowed down in front of the brother that he wronged. And all of the conflicting emotion and all of the stories and all of the things are swirling around in his head. What am I going to do? I have the power of life and death in my hands. And there they are. What am I going to do? I wonder if it flashed in his mind the day he was there and Uncle Esau had mercy on him. And so he chose. He said, he said I'm going to do for them what I watched my uncle do for me. I'm going to have mercy on them. And Joseph chooses to do what he saw done for him. You say, Pastor Josh, what does this even mean? Like, like, like what, what, what are you even saying? Why, what does this have anything to do with man versus wife? Here's the one thing that I want you to remember. As we come to the end of this story, here's the bottom line. Your kids and my kids may very well forget just about everything we say, but they will never forget what you do. They will never forget what they see you do. They'll never forget how you live your life in moments of difficulty. They'll never forget what you do when doing the right thing is hard. They'll never forget when leaving is easy, when running away is easy, but when staying and working it out and making it happen, when those are the hard choices, they'll never forget what they see you do. They'll never forget the choices that you made when it got tough. You see, your marriage isn't just about you. Your marriage isn't just about you and your spouse. Your marriage, how you interact with each other, is setting the stage for future generations. You're, you're preparing them for their own marriage, for their own relationships. So let me challenge you. Create the kind of marriage you want your kids to have with your spouse. Let me ask you a couple questions. Man, let me, let me ask you a couple questions. Would you want your daughter to marry a guy just like you? If not, why not? What if, what if your daughter took her cues for, here's how I should be treated in a marriage by how you treat your wife? How would she fare? Would you be happy with that? Fellas, how, what about your sons? What if you are the cue for how they interact with the person they marry? What, would, do you want your son to treat your daughter-in-law the way you treat your wife? Or do you have the kind of marriage that they can look back on and say, that's what I want to be like. That's the kind of marriage 
I want to have? Are, are, you showing, are, are you showing your little girl what a real man looks like in a marriage? Are you punking out? Are you setting the bar so stinking high for whatever dude's going to come along and try to get with her that she's like, look, you're not good enough. I've got the best example that you can imagine. You've got to step your game up if you're going to get with me. Is that the kind of marriage you have? Ladies, you're not off the hook. Do you want, listen to me, do you want uh, your son to marry a girl just like you? Do you want, do you want your daughter-in-law to speak to your son the way you speak to your husband? Oh gosh, it hurts, doesn't it? When you put your marriage into the perspective of what they see me do is how they're going to live their lives, it starts to get real. Some of us wouldn't put up with it. Some of us would not stand for somebody to speak to our child the way we speak to our spouse. And yet that's what they're learning. Every day, what you create now is what they're going to remember tomorrow. So create now what you hope they have. Create now. You have an opportunity that's greater than anything you can imagine. How you respond to situations will set the standard for how they respond. Listen, Dad, what if you are the, what if you are the cue for how your son responds to temptation? Ladies, what if you are the cue for how your daughter responds to crisis? Listen, you are. Because they will, they will forget nearly everything we say. But they'll never forget what they see us do. So if this is true, if this is true, what should you do? If this is true, what should you do differently? If this is true, what should you change? If this is true, why wouldn't you change now? Why would you wait to change? If this is true, why wouldn't you change as soon as possible? Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, as we wrap up our conversation on marriage and husbands and wives and man versus wife and, and all that we've learned and talked about and shared over the course of the last five weeks, we come to this decision point. Are we going to live the life, live the marriage that we want them to have? Are we going to give them an example, not in our words, but in our actions? Are we going to put forward in front of them a, an example of this is what a marriage looks like? It's not perfect, but we make it work. It's not easy, but we don't run away. And Lord, for those of us this morning with little kids and the, and the times we love the best are nap time and bedtime. Today, God, would you give us a vision for what is to come? For what is coming down the road? Would you give us vision to see beyond this momentary difficulty? To see the future that we're creating present. Lord, for those of us in this room with struggling marriage, marriages, 
And some of us, God, we're hanging on just for the sake of the kids. Would you help us to rethink our, 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 our mindset? Help us, Lord, to see beyond the present and to see what reverberates into tomorrow. Lord, in moments of crisis, this is hard to remember. Just help us. Help us, Lord. Help us to do the right thing when the right thing isn't happening to us. Help us to remember. They may not remember what I say, but they'll never forget what they see me do. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.